So, Thanksgiving Sunday, 2009, and um, just wondering here this morning if anyone has any idea where this uh, Thanksgiving holiday in Canada actually came from. It's a different story than the U.S., and uh, interesting to me, I, I didn't know this before, and so I did a little research this past week, and apparently it goes back to the uh, English explorer by the name of uh, Martin Frobisher. Now, if you're a history buff, you'll recognize that, that name, right? It's the name that we get uh, Frobisher Bay uh, from here in Canada. Uh, but Martin Frobisher, in the year 1578, uh, actually held a formal day of Thanksgiving uh, somewhere there in the province that we now know as, as Newfoundland. And uh, basically it was a ceremony to give thanks to God that, you know, that he and those group of guys with them were still alive. I mean, that's ultimately what they were giving thanks for. And uh, that tradition carried on then through the years, through the explorers, through the early settlers. Uh, they'd always pause one day a year to give thanks to God for all of his many blessings. And uh, it was made official in... Uh, 1879, an official holiday uh, was declared, known as, as Thanksgiving. And then finally, on January 31st, 1957, uh, the Canadian Parliament issued this statement. A day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed shall be observed every year on the second Monday of October. And so here we are, 431 years after that original ceremony there in, in, in Newfoundland, celebrating this day that we know as, as Thanksgiving. Now, isn't that an amazing story? I just think that's so, so cool to think even after 431 years. I, I mean, think about it. These guys basically started out with nothing, right? They'd be standing in the middle of the forest over there in Newfoundland, you know, 431 years ago, probably trying to figure out which direction is north. And, uh, and, and yet they recognize the importance of, of, just, of just pausing and giving thanks to God for the blessings in, in their lives. Well, that's where it all started. And so here we are all these years later. And uh, I'm wondering, are we still, you know, truly thankful uh, for all that, that God has given to us? Are we really, are we really thankful for that? A few years ago, there was a, a, a Peanuts cartoon that uh, pictured Charlie Brown uh, carrying out Snoopy's dinner on, on Thanksgiving. And so uh, here comes Charlie Brown, and he's got this bowl of dog food, right? Just the same old dog food. And he takes that out to, to, to Snoopy, and uh, Snoopy looks at it, and he says, uh, this just isn't fair. He says, the rest of the world is eating turkey and all the trimmings, and all I get is plain old dog food. Because I'm a dog, all I get is dog food. And then he stood there and stared at his bowl for a minute, and the next caption reads, uh, well, I guess it could be worse. Uh, I could be a turkey. <laughs> and you know, as I thought about that, I thought, how often is that my attitude uh, toward Thanksgiving? You know, how often do we do that? It's like, oh, well, at least I don't have it as bad as as that person, or, you know, at least I don't have that problem in my life, or at least I'm not a turkey, right? But, but see, Thanksgiving really involves so much more than that. It's so much more than just comparing my bad situation with somebody else who has it worse. No, Thanksgiving is supposed to be about giving thanks for what I've been given, what God has given to me. 
And until we recognize all those blessings that we do have, I mean, that's, that's what Thanksgiving is to be about, is to be recognizing what God has done for us. Now, some of you, um, I'm going to give you something to be thankful for here right off the bat this morning, uh, and that's this. This message has one point this morning, okay? Only one main point. And uh, I'm going to give it to you right at the start, and that way if you choose to check out somewhere through the middle and somebody asks you what the message was about this morning, you'll have it, all right? So here's the, here's the one main point, kind of a long point. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that the sermon will be shorter, okay? Here's the point. Uh, thankfulness is the avenue. Here, I'll give it to you on PowerPoint. Thankfulness is the avenue through which God's greatest blessings flow into our lives. I'll say that again. Thankfulness is the avenue through which God's greatest blessings flow into our lives. In the negative, it would be something like this. Without thankfulness, I miss out on God's best for me, on God's blessings. Now, the hard question, and I believe um, an important question in light of that one main point that I've just given you, I mean, if that's true, that without thankfulness, I, I miss out on God's best for me, then the question I really need to ask myself this morning is, am I truly a, a, a thankful person? It's a question that I want you to keep in mind as we open God's word. And uh, we're heading to Luke chapter 17 this morning, the, the gospel of Luke. And so I encourage you to get a hold of a, a copy of that letter that God himself has written to us called the Bible. And uh, have that open before you, uh, Luke chapter 17. And uh, we're going to begin there at verse 11. Luke's pretty easy to find, right? Get into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. You'll be there. Uh, Pew Bibles, page 728. And uh, just let me give you the context here quickly. Um, it, it's basically this. Jesus uh, is, is heading from Galilee uh, down to Jerusalem. Now, it's actually a journey that began back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, I believe it is, where, uh, where it says, Jesus uh, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is headed here for the cross. He's, he's on a mission. He's determined to go. He has steadfastly uh, set his face in that direction. That's Luke chapter 9. But if you're reading the story of Jesus from Luke's perspective, uh, Jesus doesn't actually get to Jerusalem until Luke 19. Started in Luke 9, doesn't get there till Luke 19. And so in between, you've got these 10 chapters of basically Jesus on his way uh, to Jerusalem. And so this morning, well, it says here, verse 11, notice Luke 17, 11, it says this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, and he's been doing this for a while, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, picture this for a second. Galilee is north of Jerusalem. You've got Jerusalem down there in the south, and in between there is that uh, geographical region known as Samaria. It's kind of got you know, the Jordan River is on the one side of it, and, and Samaria, Samaria is that strip in the middle. Now, in order to really get this story, you need to realize that there's this incredible animosity between Jews and Samaritans. It goes way back into 2 Kings chapter 17 back there. It talks about where all of that 
came from. That's a long story. The details I don't think are really important. Uh, what you need to know is that these guys hate one another. I mean, that's bottom line what it comes down to. The Jews and the Samaritans don't get along. They can't stand one another. See, racism is nothing new. This is racism to the max right here. In fact, typically, if you were a Jew and you were going from Galilee down to Jerusalem, you would go out of your way to avoid that area. You'd do whatever it takes. You'd, you'd go around it. You'd go across the Jordan River. You'd do whatever it takes to avoid those people. And so interesting that Jesus spends time in this area geographically. It's important. It's like Jesus is saying, look, it, it doesn't matter to me uh, who you are or what culture you're from or, or even what you've done or what other people think about you or what other people may say about you. Uh, what matters is that you matter to me. I mean, that's ultimately what Jesus is saying, that everybody matters regardless of your status. And so interesting, Jesus has been here before. In Luke, uh, Luke 13, 22, uh, Jesus is walking through the towns and villages of Samaria. Samaria. John 4, 4, Jesus, uh, again, he's walking through Samaria, it says. And so here he is again, a Jewish rabbi in Samaria. And verse 12 says, as he was going into the village there, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now you need to understand something right up front here. In this story, we're these guys. We're the ten lepers. Don't miss that. We have so much in common with these guys. First of all, notice our common condition. We're all infected with that same incurable disease. For us, it's sin. Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. You get to Romans 6.23, it talks that the, the, the wages of those, sin, of those sins is death. And so all of us have that humanly incurable disease. For us, it's sin. For these guys, it was leprosy. Probably began as a little white or pink spot on their skin, began to ulcerate and eventually break open. It was a horrible disease. William Barclay describes it this way. The ulcers develop a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out. The eyes become staring. The vocal cords become ulcerated and the voice becomes hoarse. The breath wheezes. Likewise, the hands and feet become numb and they begin to ulcerate and slowly the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. And the average person spends nine years in this condition. Eventually, it leads to mental decay, coma, and ultimately death. You say, Jim, why are you giving me all those details? That's disgusting. But see, folks, listen. What you see in leprosy is a biblical picture of sin. It's what it looks like. It's a disease that we're all born with. Secondly, it's a disease that keeps us at a distance from God. Notice these guys here, they stood at a distance. They stood away from God. 
comes from back in Leviticus chapter 13. It says, here was the, here was the law around the person with leprosy. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt. Uh, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. And he must live alone. He must live outside the camp. And so that's what these 10 guys were doing. And when Jesus met them, they were at a distance. They knew to keep back. Their, their leprosy separates them from God. Friends, our sin in our lives does the exact same thing. We have that in common. And therefore, just like these 10 men, we're also in desperate need of the Savior's mercy. It's the third thing we have in common, the need for mercy. It's what they were asking for here. The Greek word is elieo. Master, have elieo on us. Have mercy on us. Now, the NIV uses the word pity there, but it's, it's much more than that. Almost all the other translations give the word mercy. See, mercy means that I don't get what I deserve. Now, when it comes to sin in our lives, that's what we really need, isn't it? I mean, the last thing I want from a holy God is what I deserve when it comes to sin in my life. I mean, I'm guilty. I was born in sin. What I deserve is death. But God, please don't give me what I deserve. What I need is mercy. And we have that in common with these 10 lepers. We have that same need. Now, thankfully, God is a God of mercy. In fact, it's one of the words that he uses to describe himself when he's talking to Moses back there in Exodus. It says the Lord passed in front of Moses and God himself is speaking here, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion. And what? What is that? The God of, what's it say? God of compassion and mercy. God of compassion and a God of mercy. And friends, when we begin to understand the the just penalty of sin and what it is that we ultimately deserve, God's mercy is good news. That's good news. We need it. And so did these 10 guys with leprosy. But notice not only our common condition, notice also we share this in common with the lepers that cleansing, the cleansing that we need is only offered through Jesus Christ. It's the only solution. Look at what it says in verse 14. It says, when he, uh, meaning Jesus, saw them, he says to these guys, uh, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, just picture that for a minute. I mean, you've got 10 guys here, all of them covered with leprosy. And Jesus says to them, uh, go show yourselves to the priests. And so picture that. I mean, they get up, they, they, they start heading towards town. Uh, what's going through their minds at this point? I mean, they're looking around. They're, they're still all covered with leprosy. And, and why are we going to the priest exactly? You know, why are, we, why are we to do that? They still have the disease. Interesting that it says, uh, as they went, they were cleansed. I think that's informative to us. Obviously, there's an element of faith involved in our cleansing in order to experience that. But you think of that picture. I mean, how did this healing work? 
These guys were all there. Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests. They're covered with leprosy. They've had it for years now. They get up. They're walking together. As they're going, they were cleansed. How did that work? You know, it's like, hey, you know, look at your arm. It's, and, and look at my, I can actually feel my foot. I mean, how did that go? I don't know exactly. It would have been interesting to be there. But imagine the excitement of that. I mean, these guys had been in this condition for years and they knew it was humanly incurable and all of a sudden they begin to see it. And they begin to see the healing and they begin to, one of the things with leprosy was that you would lose all feeling. That's part of where the damage would come from. You couldn't feel your nose, you couldn't feel your feet, you couldn't feel your hands and you'd you'd do all kinds of things with them that would damage them because you couldn't feel it. Imagine as they begin to get that feeling back and they begin to be able to stand, they're no longer walking on, you know, numb numb nubs there, They, they can actually feel this thing. I mean, these guys would be excited as they took those first few steps. And you know what? Isn't that so much like us when we first meet Jesus, for many of us at least, when we begin to experience that cleansing work that he does in our lives? I was talking to a guy last week in my office, and he was just so amazed. He was so excited by this truth that we can come back to Jesus for forgiveness of sin. And I mean, this guy, he, he was just excited about that truth that I can come to Jesus and, and be forgiven. And it's like I, I come in dirty, I get down on my knees, I confess my sin, I turn from it, I get up with a fresh slate, all cleaned. It's like the uh, Etch-A-Sketch, right? It's, it's shook, it's all wiped off. And this guy, I mean, he was just excited about that truth, about that reality. He said, you know, who wouldn't want that, he said to me. And so you think of these 10 guys here, I mean, clearly they'd be excited. I believe they were so thankful in that moment for what had happened. And so it says, it says, verse 15, it says, um, all of them quickly turned around and they went running back to Jesus, uh, so thankful for what he had done in their lives. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says one of them, one of them. When he saw that he was healed, just one, came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. You know, I just love the way that Luke kind of throws that in there. It's like, oh yeah, and by the way, yeah, that guy there, uh, he was a Samaritan. It's like to my, to my Jewish audience, um, you guys are like the other guys, all right? He was a Samaritan. You guys are Jews. You're like the other nine. Friends, let me ask you something. How often do you pause to give thanks to God for what he's done? You know, it seems so often, and I'm guilty of this myself, that we're so quick to ask God for things when we pray. It's like, God, thanks for listening. Now, here's my list. In fact, I tried a little exercise this past week um, where I just tried spending some time in prayer to God, uh, total thanksgiving. Uh, No asking for nothing, not not direction, not wisdom, not anything, all thanks. Folks, I'll be honest with you, I didn't find it easy. Because our tendency, see, our tendency is always to come around, to bring that around to, you know, Thank you for your direction, God. Now, 
help me with direction or something. We always seem to get around to the request. Now that's okay because we're supposed to bring our requests to God. Scripture is clear about that. But what about when he brings the answers? What about when the answers do come? Do we, do we even recognize when God answers? You know, I've been praying about something for months. Do I even recognize that it's God that answered the prayer? It's like the guy that was lost in the woods and um, later on after he was rescued, he was describing to this friend of his how frightened he was out there all alone in the woods and how, you know, he finally got to the point where he said, I just got down my knees and I, I cried out to God for help. I was scared to death. And one of his friends said, well, did God answer your prayer? And the guy said, well, actually, no. Before God had a chance, a guide came along and he just showed me the way out. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're so quick to do that. We're so quick to pray. We're so quick to ask for mercy. It's like, it's like God, help me here. I'm, I, I'm desperate, God. But then, then when mercy comes, when the answer comes, Charles Spurgeon points out here that while 10 men prayed, only one praised. 10 of them prayed. Only one of them praised. Now, you know what? I I don't think there's any doubt that those other nine guys were thankful. I mean, they'd been cured of an incurable disease. You You can imagine, naturally, they'd be thankful that their leprosy was gone. But see, what I would suggest to you this morning is that true God honoring thankfulness requires more than just, oh, I'm, you know, I'm glad my tooth doesn't hurt anymore that I found a parking place close to the front door today. It's more than that. True thankfulness means that I not only recognize the gift, but also that I pause for a moment to recognize the giver. Of the gift. See, where our focus is in, in Thanksgiving really makes a huge difference. Because, see, if I'm focused on the gift, well, if something happens to the gift, then ultimately I don't have a whole lot to be thankful about anymore, right? I mean, I'm thankful for my family, very thankful for my family, but what if something happens to my family? And God, I'm so thankful for my food. I'm so thankful for all of that. But what if my food supply dries up? I mean, I'm thankful for all of these gifts, but what if something happens to the gift? See, friends, our thankfulness ultimately needs to be directed to the giver of the gift. And the fact is, if God never gave us another thing, His offer of forgiveness and salvation, I mean, that is enough for us to give thanks for the rest of our lives. Hebrews 13, 14 says, this world isn't our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. And then it says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God. Continual sacrifice of praise. Of praise, And in doing that, listen, in doing that, in offering that sacrifice of praise by, by choosing to express thanksgiving to the giver, in doing that, I open up the avenue for God's richest blessings to flow into my life. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, you're going to see it in just a second. Remember this one man 
has returned to Jesus to give thanks. There he is at Jesus' feet, says he's been praising God in a loud voice. Love that. He's now laying there at Jesus' feet. He's given thanks to the giver of the gift. And Jesus asks him a question. Now, honestly, I, I think Jesus is probably saying this with tears in his eyes. I, I don't think there's any condemnation here at all. I, I think this is disappointment. In verse 17, it says, Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. It's a rhetorical question. It's like, there were ten cleansed, weren't there? But, but where's the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Notice something there. Jesus isn't congratulating the one that came. What concerns him are the nine that didn't. In other words, thanking the giver for the gift is a natural, normal response. Nothing remarkable about that. We sang the song this morning, we were made to worship. That's what we were made to do. 1 Peter says, uh, 2.9 says we were made to praise God. We were designed for that. So nothing overly remarkable about the guy that came. But what, uh, what grieves me, Jesus says, are the other nine. The ones that acknowledge the gift but they miss the giver. And it's like Jesus is saying here, I I had so much more for those guys. I had so much more that I wanted to give them, but they missed it because they didn't come back. I had so much more that I wanted to pour into their lives. So much more that I wanted to give them. So much more than just physical healing or another few few years on this earth. I, I had so much more to give them. I think of us here this morning. I have so much more than than material blessings like a turkey dinner or time with family. All that's important, but Jesus says, I have so much more to give them. And these guys missed it. Because listen, because thankfulness is the avenue through which God's greatest blessings flow into our lives. You say, we've been talking about that all morning. What are you talking about? Well, here it is, verse 19. Jesus says to this guy lying there at his feet, he says to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, friends, don't miss that. You know what just happened there? You know what just happened to that guy? That man was changed for all eternity. You look at me with kind of a blank face, and I understand why, because we tend to lose it in the translation. You see, it says there, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. What's so special about that, Jesus? I mean, all 10 of us were made well. We were made well when we were on our way to the priest. So what's the big deal about that? But see, the word for well here isn't referring to physical healing. Greek lesson. Physical healing would be iao. Miha. That's a word back in verse 15. Not here. It's not even the Greek katharizo. That would mean cleansed. It's not talking that. The word here is sozo. Sozo. It's the word for salvation. Let me show you something. If, if you remember back in Luke 7, there's a woman there 
comes to Jesus pouring oil on his feet. Remember the Pharisees, they're, I don't know what this woman is, maybe a prostitute, we don't know for sure, but she comes in and she's pouring oil there in Jesus' feet. Clearly she's a sinner in need of, need of a savior. I mean, ultimately she recognizes that. And, and so she's pouring this oil on Jesus' feet and she begins to wipe them with her hair and she's kissing his feet. And in verse 48 of chapter seven of Luke, Jesus says to that woman, your sins are forgiven you. But what I want you to notice is what he says to her two verses later. Because in the Greek, it's the exact same phrase as what Jesus says to this guy. Here it is, Luke 7.50. Jesus says this to that woman. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Friends, listen, when Jesus says to that guy, rise up, your faith has made you well, he's talking about a whole lot more than physical healing. That guy's destination for eternity had been changed in that, in that instance. And friends, that was a result through that avenue of his thankfulness, of coming back to give thanks. You see, when we take time to give thanks to the giver, that changes something ultimately in us. When we get past the material gifts and we begin to realize that God has given us so many things that, that can't be taken away. Things like forgiveness for the promise of his presence with us. Things like his incredible love for you and I. Things like freedom from addiction that God has brought into our lives. Eternal life. God's mercy, God's grace, when we get focused on that, well, that's the avenue that God is able to pour his richest blessings into our lives. And so I want to close this morning with something really practical, or at least I hope it's practical. At the bottom of your sermon notes, we've given you three lines there. And you can do this now, or you can do it the whole, at home this afternoon, or you can do it before you're going to bed tonight. I, I just ask that you would do this sometime today. And, and I want you to give some thought to the question that's there. It says, three non-material things that God has done for me or given me that I'm truly thankful for today. Now, I, I would hope that, you know, you'd have a lot more than three, but I, I think that's easy enough. Three things that God has done. Non-material things. Not, material things are good. They are. But what about the non-material? What about the things that nobody can take away? Like his forgiveness. His faithfulness. His, his, his promise of presence in our lives. You know, I think it's something that we should be doing every night before we go to bed. I, I believe it'd be life-changing. Even if you do it mentally, take, you know, if you want to photocopy that thing 365 times, you can, but do a mental list even. Something that God has done for me today that, that I am thankful for. And folks, I'm telling you, that is the avenue. It's that thankfulness is the avenue that God is able to pour his richest, his best into our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word to us this morning. And Lord, we recognize that so often we're a whole lot more like the nine than we are like that Samaritan. And so Lord, we just want to pause for a second this morning and give you thanks for what you've done. Yesterday, last week, over the last year, Lord, as we reflect, as we take a minute to look back, you are worthy of our praise and our thanks this morning. Lord, ultimately, that you sent your son that we could be forgiven. Jesus hung there on that cross so that I could have the weight of my sin placed on him and I could have right relationship with you. And that changes me for today and for all eternity. Lord Jesus, how awesome that is. We thank you for that this morning, a gift that's available to every one of us. Thank you for that. Lord, help us to be thankful people. Thank you for this day, for this weekend that our government has decided to give us a day off tomorrow that we can give thanks. Help us to be about giving thanks. Lord, thank you for family, for friends, and all of your blessings in our lives. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for coming this morning, and you are dismissed. Have a good Thanksgiving, and uh, be sure to give thanks to God.